This is Joel Reed and Scott Tobe from EO Angels, and you're listening to Startup Impact Radio, the podcast about entrepreneurs and their vision for changing the world. This show is for people who love startups, making an impact, and the occasional drink recommendation. Today, we're talking with Ben Kander, who's the founder and CEO of Welly Bottle, a company dedicated to providing drinkware that is good for the environment, promoting healthy living, and providing clean water to people in need. We'll discuss everything there is to know about clean water, moving manufacturing back from China home to Pittsburgh, and environmentally friendly drinkware. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Ben. So we want to start off with a little bit of your origin story. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. It's a long story. We've been at it for a while. Um, sadly, my story starts out of tragedy. Uh, in 2012, I was just graduating from college. I went to Emory University in Atlanta. Uh, and my mom, that senior year, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, she passed away just as I graduated and just as I entered the workforce. My mom, her name was Ellen, uh, which named the business after her. My dad used to call her Ellie. And we donate 1% uh, of sales to clean water projects through the form of wells, hence the name Welly was born. But she was one of these just larger than life people. She walked into a room and everyone just gravitated towards her. She had this glow when she smiled. She just had a way of connecting with people. And when she died, I just saw, A, how fragile life is and that we can all go at any time. And B, that I wanted to dedicate my life and my career towards doing something that not only was profitable and successful, but that helped others. And any business, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I think if you're an entrepreneur, you just know it. And, and uh, you're always thinking of different ideas and different solutions to problems. And so I, I really, whenever I started, I knew it had to incorporate healthy people and healthy our environment, uh, which is exactly what we do. Uh, you know, we're a lot of insulated water bottles. Um, there, I'm not sure if you know about the plastic crisis, but you know, single use plastic bottles are littering our landfills and our waterways, getting stuck in oceans, uh, tearing down into microplastics that enters our food. It just, it's absolutely terrible, this material that we've been using and so reliant on. So we help reduce that reliance by giving you a reusable product. We also donate, as I've mentioned, 1% of sales to clean water projects. When, after my mom died, I learned about the clean water crisis where 785 million people don't have access to clean water on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And here I am just going to the sink and getting the, you know, a glass of water to drink that easily. And meanwhile, mostly women are responsible for walking four to five hours every day just to get dirty water to feed their family. I don't know about you. I, I have three kids now. And just the thought of giving them dirty water every day that I know is harming them, potentially killing them, just is the most terrifying thing. And so I wanted our business to help people, as I mentioned, to help really work. We sell water bottles. And I like when I learned about this water crisis, I had to pair the two together. Um, and then we're also inherently just battling the, the single-use plastic crisis. So um, that's built into our brand, built into our mission, and built into our name, which is Welly after my mom and the wells that we find. Well, Ben, I just want to say, first of all, I, I, I knew your mother. I did some charity work with her, and you are correct. She was an absolutely incredible human being, uh, and I definitely am better for knowing Thank her. So just want to say that. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I think you, you are take, undertaking a, a Herculean task. Uh, my understanding, and you can correct me on the numbers, but it's something like 99% of all water bottles are made in China. 
Uh, and you want to disrupt that market and bring it home to Pittsburgh. That's audacious. So tell us why you want to do that and, and what, what sparked that? That is taking up 100% of my days lately, um, which as it should. Uh, let's see. And yeah, of the brands that you know, right? Stanley, Yeti, Corksicle, Clean Canteen, Mir, Hydroflask, Camelback, or a lot of them, right? And that's because there's a lot of demand in this industry. Though all those brands that you would know or see in the store are made in China. And even before the pandemic, let's take you back. We could never keep up with demand. We were growing. We've gotten into Starbucks Reserve. We've gotten into Whole Foods. We were approached by Target. We partnered with Anthropology and Madewell. We've seen some really great success primarily through the designs of our products. We have included bamboo in all of our products, which is a beautiful natural resource. Uh, we have infusers that help you coffee or tea while on the go. And then our story of our mom, my mom and our give back mission have really resonated with our customers, our retail partners, our promotional buyers, and led to growth. And we can never get enough product to keep up with it. And then that was before the pandemic. We're losing on sales because we have to turn people away because we can't there's a communication gap. There's a lot of lead times in terms of production time and then also shipping time. And then the pandemic happened and all of those things got worse. Every, all these issues were exacerbated. Our prices have gone up 15 to 20%. Shipping costs are up 400%. Shipping delays that we've seen them up 12 weeks. Uh, and here I am in Pittsburgh, a city known for steel, right? We're called the Pittsburgh Steelers for goodness sake. Import, I'm importing a product that's 95% steel into Pittsburgh from China, right? Something felt wrong here. And, and as I looked around and saw all of our competition, I said, oh my goodness, 100% of these competitors are made in China. And we're all dealing with the exact same problem. And the entrepreneur in me said, there's got to be a better way, right? We've got to, this is an, a really good opportunity here to change the status quo, which is, hey, it's cheaper to manufacture overseas. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and so we, I said, out with my team to do a feasibility study. Let's, before we launch a plan, we got to figure out the numbers, right? We got quotes for machinery. We partnered with the co-founder of our current manufacturer, uh, who knows drinkware. So we're working with people who know the industry. Uh, we did this massive eight month feasibility study. Well, we got quotes for steel. We got quotes for plastic. We got quotes for, for carbureted cardboard and paint and, and packaging and everything you could imagine, right? And had it vetted by drinkware professionals people in manufacturing and operations. Um, and we're, it's going to cost us a lot more to make it here in the United States, of course, roughly 50%, right? And so while that sounds really scary, it's a massive increase. What I've also known about this industry, part of the reason I entered in the first place, is it's a very high margin industry. So you look at a competitor like Swell, who a lot of people know, those bottles cost $4, 450 landed, we were 450 to five bucks landed, and they turn around and sell it for $35. So though... In year one, it's going to cost us nine nine fifty per unit to make a year, which is a lot more expensive. Uh, we can still turn those around and sell it at the same $35 price point um, and have a healthy margin, but completely separate ourselves from the industry. So my goal in doing this is the only way I'm going to do this is if we can offer quality products at competitive prices. Most American-made, you know, American manufacturers end up charging 30, 25 to 30% more for the same quality product. Uh, and it forces the customer to, to have to justify when they're at the store and you know, where you're all getting hit with inflation and wages aren't growing as quickly. And people have to decide, is it worth spending a little bit more to support the American workforce, right? And a lot of people won't. And so I want to take that burden away. There are studies that say that people will, but I want to take the burden off the individual consumer, the retail buyer that we work with, 
And the promo buyer, if that, by promo, I mean your company buys a thousand models to give away to, to their employees. Mm -hmm. That's the promotional process. And I want to take that burden off and say, hey, we're matching quality and we're matching price point, but we're made in the United States. By the way, we partner with the veterans place here in Pittsburgh. Our workforce is comprised of mostly veterans who have served, your, served our country. And to me, it makes it such a no-brainer decision if we can offer that. So we'll take a haircut on margin because it's going to cost us a lot more. But as we scale and increase volume to increase efficiencies at the plant, our costs are going to slowly drop. Whereas our competitors who are all 100% reliant on overseas manufacturing and our fragile international supply chain, their prices are really going up right now. So it's a really great time to do this. There's a lot of great national sentiments that we can lean on. Fortunately, I'm in a business that's supported on both, both sides of the aisle where any Republican might say, I love that you're supporting the American workforce and you're hiring veterans and, and bringing jobs to the United States. And any Democrat, I'm, I'm really generalizing here. I'm not leading anyway. Any Democrat might say, I love that you're saving on carbon emissions from ocean transport. We're no longer shipping products around the world like every one of our competitors are doing. We're sourcing all of our materials here domestically, producing it here domestically and shipping it here domestically. You're saving on carbon emissions. You can control your supply chain. We can work to getting our fluids to net neutrality in terms of carbon emissions. And we're also reducing your reliance on single-use plastics and supporting the U.S. workforce. There are so many good things to tell here that support. If you're an American, you should love it. So if you're even a North American, I don't want to leave out Canada or, <laughs> or Mexico or anywhere else. You know, anyone should love this. So um, that's really the vision that we have. You know, we've been growing and leveraging our current, we're really leveraging our current success and demand to scale and, and change the industry and really prove to the industry, to the world, to other industries, that you don't need to rely on overseas manufacturing, right? There's global supply. I'm sorry, I'm talking so much, but I guess you're interviewing me. So uh, global, there's the global economy is great, um, but you don't always have to rely on it, especially when you're choosing that primarily because of price point and that we can do things here ourselves and we don't have to rely on overseas manufacturing in a fragile supply chain. We have the ability to do it here. We're starting with drinkware and who knows where we'll go next. So. That's a great, Brandon. Story, and I understand why you're doing that. Is there anything that surprised you as you've been going through this process of doing those feasibility studies and figuring out what partners to yeah. team up with? There's Any surprises? Yeah, uh, every day. Um, there's one quote from uh, Elon Musk that I really try to hold on to, which is, uh, I don't know if it's a quote, but just something they said about falling victim of wishful thinking. And, you know, you might get a quote Right. And oh, well, we're still prices are projected to drop by 15 to 20% by the time we launch. And same with plastic prices. And, you know, oh, we'll get the product here and it'll arrive and it'll work on our machines and our labor will be trained properly and there won't be any safety issues at the warehouse. And, you know, all these things can go wrong. Right. There's a lot of risk when you're talking about manufacturing, especially. I haven't done it, but fortunately we're hiring people who have done manufacturing, no operation, no machinery, and no supervision and no safety standards. So uh, we're going to minimize risk as much as possible. But, you know, we've had this feasibility study and I can't tell you how many different versions, you know, there are mm. uh, because they keep changing when, oh my goodness, <laughs> our mold costs when we get them overseas in China is usually $8,000. That's what I budgeted for. Right. Because we're actually, we, we still are going to rely on a Chinese relationship. So 
I don't mean to disparage our Chinese partners because I love them. They're awesome. We still need, we're going to source machinery from China to start because they have all the dirt through for our machinery, but we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Down the road, I'd love to build my own machine when only the second and fourth day of production left. That's like just the other day, you know, $8,000 has been like the standard for a bottle mold. And here I get new, new mold quotes for our machines that are 32,000 a piece. And so that was like, oh my goodness, we were going to launch with eight to 10 products. This is a big change. Just that one new news, right? Comes in, mm -hmm. maybe we should cut down our initial launch and what we're going to launch in terms of our product line uh, and our assortment because of that, right? And so it's kind of this balancing act between trying to be really conservative with your budget, which we have been, and we've been told this is really conservative. Great. I'd rather everything surprises us in, the, in, in a good way because I know things like this will keep happening. So um, that is kind of the, the biggest surprise is just coming in with, oh, this costs this now, or, you know, just just random things of, um, we were told that this one plant that we were going to rent out would be big enough for a second production line as we expanded. Oh, no, you know, we thought you could use some outdoor storage space, right? It's all communication and we're still communicating overseas and no, we can't store raw materials in the winter outside in Pittsburgh. We can't do that, right? So we had to pivot mm -hmm. in terms of our plant. We were looking at one in Carnegie and now we're looking at one in Verona, Oakland area. So it just um, surprises our, I think as an entrepreneur, surprises are just so commonplace that you can no longer, like we've had issues. We had an issue with a Starbucks order. And my operations, operations manager was freaking out and I just started laughing and I was just like, I can come to expect this, especially working, you know, overseas and just mm -hmm. problems are all happen all the time. Fortunately, I think I'm in a really unique space where I've experienced true tragedy of losing my mom and it's put everything else in perspective. So when the shipments leak, when we lose, mess up with a, 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 for an order for a big customer, it's okay. Right. It's okay. We'll, we'll, if we have that attitude uh, and recognize this is not such a big deal, uh, it lets us grow in the long run. It's just a minor uh, speed bump. So, Ben, you mentioned the word pivot a few times. And I think any entrepreneur has to become accustomed to, to pivoting and, and challenges. You know, they're going to be far, uh, they're going to, they're going to come often and, uh, and you constantly need to be pivoting. So, you know, let's just say you had a magic wand, right? And you could just, remove all challenges, you know, what do you look like a couple of years out from now or five years out from now? Well, well, first, I appreciate you calling off pivots. I just like, you know, it's Game of Thrones. I call this Game of Pivots. Uh, I think that's what entrepreneurship is. Nope. Uh, it's just like who can pivot the, not the most necessarily, but the right way when you need to, right? And I think that's where we are right now, where, you know, bamboo is a, is a unique element to insulated drinkware, but I think it can only take us so far, right? I don't think, I don't think the world needs another water bottle, to be honest. I think what we need, beautiful, I see, you see, here's there, Scott. Um, but, but when I look at the industry and I see all these, this competition, they're all, by any of them, they're all going to keep your drink hot. They're all going to keep it cold, right? And what I see more so is the workforce and the supply chain and the jobs and, and that's what's ripe for disruption right now in this industry. So um, in terms of if your question of if everything went right, where would we be? We would be humming. We would be a lean meat manufacturing plant that is, you know, in the first few years, drinkware is what we know and what we're going to be good at. Um, but when you gain proficiencies in steel and plastic and silicone manufacturing, 
you know, you start thinking of coolers, like what Yeti did $1.4 billion last year, with 832 million in drinkware alone, right? That's the big Goliath. And here we are, David, coming in, um, you know, in our industry. And so they make coolers and they make lunch boxes and we can make a really cool, I, I envision like a retro steel Pittsburgh, in, you know, from a Pittsburgh industrial town, lunchbox for your everyday, for your kids and for you to take to the office. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, there's just so many other places we can go. There's, uh, you know, there's tea kettles and coffee and French presses, a lot of different things that are steel, plastic, or silicon, because that's what we're going to be using on a regular basis and burning. Uh, so that's, I, I vision us as a lean, mean uh, manufacturing plant with many opportunities to be acquired, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's, that's five year. I'd say that's a five year horizon. So pivoting away from just being focused on drinkware to being a, a lean, mean manufacturer in this steel, plastic, silicon space, yeah, US based, having an impact with manufacturing jobs in America. Yeah, I think it all comes down to you know our why. I I, I love Sack and Cynic and his whole start with why. And I listened to read his books, seen him in person. Uh, and kind of understanding what our lives, and I think it can change. And uh, you know, it's not water bottles, right? It's it's way bigger than water bottles, and um, it's not even single-use plastics. These are competitors, I think, are doing that, right? And and the water crisis are competitors. Some of them also support water wells, which is great. And we need to fix that problem. And I think you can have a multifaceted approach to your why. And I feel like it's really showing the world that we can we can. Uh, supply product for ourselves, right? Or we can support our workforce, support our economy. Uh, you know, people need work. And it's just like, you know, I love the, you give someone a fish, they eat for a day, you teach them how to fish, they eat for a lifetime. And so that to me is really struck a chord. And wow, you know, we're looking to provide 45 jobs for the on production line workers, plus another 15 jobs uh, in terms of sales, marketing, you know, operations, finance. Uh, HR, QC, right? Um, and so that to me is really getting me excited of bringing a team together and growing that team uh, and te giving a skill set, but all, and also giving the opportunity to gain equity, especially for those production line workers. The biggest, I think the biggest part of this business is going to be the people actually making the product, right? You can swap it. You know, if those people are unhappy, because it's a tough job, it's a monotonous eight hour, 10 hour a, a day job of doing a repetitive task, right? I, it's hard for me to imagine doing that all day. And I want every person at our company to do every job at least once um, to really understand and appreciate what people are going through. But imagine if that worker, what I look at, imagine if that worker feels like they're a family and part of a team and they come home and they see their family all using well bottles and they can proudly say that I helped make that and what my and not only that, but if they're there for a certain amount of time, that they can gain equity and actual ownership of a company, an opportunity that these workers likely would never have, right, at anywhere else. So, um, so it's really my vision is how do I, I learned this actually from Sleepaway Camp. Um, the director talked to the counselors and he said to the counselors, here's my belief. Happy counselors leads to happy campers, which leads to a happy camp. We went top down, right, which was interesting. Instead of bottom up, everyone, you know, most counts, camp directors are just thinking about the kids and making sure they have a good time. But he was smart and he realized, well, the counselors are the ones that these people, kids look up to and spend all the time with. And if they're happy and are enjoying themselves, these kids are going to be happy. 
Well, I view it the same way with our employees. That if these employees are happy and enjoying their job and feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves, and they're not in it just for the paycheck, but there's something greater that they're showing the world in our in our country. Uh, that is my 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 belief is that if we can make that happen, we will have a successful company. It'll translate down to our customers and buyers and everyone else. I. I don't know if that relates to your question at all. I don't think. But we got I don't know. I love it. I love the camp philosophy of the the top down approach, yeah. making sure, you know, the people who serve the kids are happy because if they're not, it's going to trickle its way down. And so I, I love that approach. And, and the customer is always right, sure, but also your employees are always right too. You know, it's it's a balancing act. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I want to make sure our employees are happy. I also learned it from my parents too. I think. Now, my parents had this philosophy that I've learned as an older where, you know, even if they disagreed from something on either how to parent or whether we could have the toy or not have the toy, they always ended up being a united front, regardless of feet. Even if I felt like, dad, you disagree with mom, or mom, you disagree with dad. And they would be a united front. And, you know, I, I just think having that as a team and we're all in this together and a united front, I just think that that trickles its way down, right? And it leaves no questions uh, and as to our position as a company, who we are, what we stand for. And that's what our customers see. Um, another thing, and this is, I'm taking you in a completely different direction because it's something very top of mind. If you don't buy, don't um, which is just from our marketing approach. You know, we're, we're rebranding. We have a new logo coming out. We have a, a much broader target audience that we can go after uh, because this is so applicable to everyone in our country in particular. Um, and I want to, how do we create real customer loyalty and real connections with our customers? That's what I've been thinking about. And I learned this from my mom where she would be with a group of her friends or, or women that she hadn't met and everyone kind of had their guard up, right? Everyone didn't want to reveal what they were struggling with. They just wanted to, it's kind of like in today's world, it's Instagram versus reality, right? We all put up this front of Instagram, but reality is completely different. And everyone was putting up this front, this Instagram front. And my mom would just pull down her guard and she would make herself very vulnerable. And she would say, I can't deal with balancing my work life with my kids. I can't even get the laundry done. I'm so overwhelmed, right? And she would share the things that she was struggling with. And then one by one, every one of these women would drop their guards and share, I'm struggling with that too. I can't, you know, I can't manage, right? And it was in, and this vulnerability and transparency led to these human interactions and connections. And I want to bring that to the corporate level. I want to bring that to companies. I don't think companies are doing that well enough. Uh, there's another opportunity to change things, right? Um, we talk about how can we be transparent and vulnerable with our customers? We want to share the things that we're working on and doing a great job at, but let's also share the things that we struggle with, right? We want to be climate neutral. We're probably not going to be there right away. And let's share how we're not there, why we're not there, and how we're trying to get there. Um, let's share the reason the, that your price is $35 for a water bottle. Well, this is our cost for steel. This is our cost for plastic. This is the cost to ship here. This is the cost for silicon. This is the cost for labor. This is what we pay our people. We pay them fair wages uh, with benefits, right? So they can have health insurance. This adds up to a cost of this. And we got to make this much margin to cover our overhead and cover our SGMA. And that's why it's this price, right? And I think as a customer, you see that and you, you don't care that it costs 
35 mil, you could, we could probably charge 40 bucks for that, right? Um, so I, I feel like that is something that we're, is going to be key to us performing. And we're going to make mistakes and we got to be vulnerable and open and transparent about those mistakes. But I think that that is such a, a unique way to approach marketing and the business and how we're going to run things um, that I think is different than what you see out there. And I think combining that with a different way of thinking about how we're making your products, who's making it, where it's making, where we're making it, and peeling the curtain back on all those things, right? This is a veteran named Joe serving in Afghanistan. Here's a story. Here's where he lives. Here's his family. Here's how he polished your bottle. Or here's how he put it, cut the steel and, and formed and used hydroforming to form the, in this mold, the shape of your bottle. And this is the machine that he put it in to suck out the air to form the vacuum seal, right? really peeling back the curtain. Our competitors, I guarantee you, are doing that and showing the Chinese workforce making their bobs, right? They're not so proud of that. Not There's nothing against those people. I've met a lot of Chinese workers at factories and they're great to work with, but we want to do things a little differently. So that's just the, some other insights into what, what I'm thinking about with this really new business that we're launching. That's awesome. I love that focus on transparency. That's a big value for me and our company. Uh, and that'll be radical sharing this, sharing those costs and so forth with customers like you were just talking about. How about this impact? You talked about 1% of sales going for Wells. I don't want to minimize the impact you guys have already had on the world. Can you just talk a little bit about the well projects you've done and the transformation that you guys have been able to already achieve? I'd love to. Um, so when I, my mom had died, I was in New York City. Uh, I was in Tribeca in this park reading the book by Blake Mikoski called Start Something That Matters. He's the founder of Tom's the Footwear brand. And in there, he talks about Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water, and how he started Charity Water and why. Scott has a really fascinating story of like being a club promoter and working, you know, with a very different group of people, going on a trip to Africa, I believe it was, and as a photographer and just his eyes opened up to a whole different world of people who were living completely different on the same planet, right? And he wanted, that's what he realized, he wanted to change his life completely and help people for a living. And so that's how I first, reading about that and following Scott, I met Scott in person at Cherry Water Headquarters in New York. Um, and I just got me hooked. You know, I kept thinking, I, I get in the shower, and I almost start feeling guilty about every time I use water. But it, it made me feel like, hey, the my best way to make a difference is not through my personal donation because I paid myself as little as possible to keep the business growing, uh, but it's through building it into the business model. So um, Charity Water, what I love about them and what I think they're, how they're disrupting charity, right? Is through transparency. It comes right back to this. You know, when you donate to most charities, you don't know where your money goes. You just make a check and okay, you feel good about yourself. What their whole business plan was, is we're gonna fund our operations private donors. Google is going to help fund our operation and Meta and all the other companies. They're going to fund our operations. So you, the donor, you know, when you make a donation, 100% of those funds are going to go to a specific water project. They won't show you which one your money's going to. So obviously we don't have the infrastructure to do that ourselves. So we piggyback on them, right? And we can make those donations and leverage their transparency to be transparent with our customers. So we now work with Charity Water where at the end of every year, we say, hey, this is the amount of money that we can donate based on our sales and 1% of that. What projects do you have, right? Um, that we can send you all this money and then we can fund the project fully from our Welly customers 
and then connect those customers to where their money went. So right now on all of our packaging, we have give back codes. So you type in, you figure, get your give back code, go onto our website on our mission page, you type it in and you can see where your money goes. We want to be even better about it, but, but I just, I think the transparency again, on that connection and, and latch on to that. So we've chosen a different project. We started in Ethiopia off of a Kickstarter. This, this company started off in the Kickstarter campaign in 2015. This, my girlfriend at the time, now life drank more water knew and I didn't have a musical water bottle at the time. So, uh, I ended up designing a terrible product, launched a Kickstarter. We sold $65,000 with it worth of it. And it's pivoted any time to the design to the day and then new design to the in America. Um, but so that's what that, that was our first campaign from Kickstarter with Ethiopia. We picked two projects in Malawi. Uh, we, from most recent project, there's a school in Bangladesh with 400 school children who don't have access to water. Get to have the water right there. Um, this impacts the most, which I know my father the most proud of, as I mentioned before, is women and daughters. Um, I have two daughters myself. Um, those are the people who are responsible, but don't have water for getting water. And the husbands usually get to work, and the sons usually get to go to school and get an education, right? And so I know my mom is, is, is thinking, I am so proud of you for donating this to people who work, where it helps them to the daughters the most. Because when water enters the village or a school and they have access, those daughters don't get to go to school. And those women can support their family at home or they can work and support their family. So it just creates a whole, and then, and then that's just one generation. You take it one, two, three, five generations down, then you see a whole different community, a whole different livelihood, a whole different economy than you've created just by water, our most necessary resource. So, um, you know, with this pivot to made in America, we've been brainstorming internally. We want to keep water. You know, we're pivoting to so much U.S. focus and supporting U.S. workforce and supply chain and getting all domestic resources. And there's a lot of problems here in the United States too. Water in, in included, right? You've seen Flint, Michigan. You've seen Jackson, Mississippi, uh, and maybe want we want to divert some of those funds. Sadly, there's so many places that need help just within water. Uh, that, you know, we, we want to make a dent somewhere. So we're still deciding. We're still deciding how we want to uh, divert our funds as part of this as well. But now we're proud to give to clean water and helping those women and daughters primarily around the world. Well, Ben, that's really incredible. Um, and uh, I, I can tell you, my wife and I had the great fortune of uh, spending our honeymoon in Africa. And uh, we learned about this water uh, issue um, not long before our wedding and, uh, you know, decided for our wedding project to, to raise money, uh, for, to drill well in Africa. And then when we went over there, we got to actually see in action what happens in a village when, as you're saying, you know, you provide the water, the women get to therefore have a job, the daughters therefore get to go to school and it just has an absolutely outsized impact. And, uh, so every year since, uh, water projects have been a, a focus of ours. And, uh, I really applaud you for the work you're doing. That's just absolutely incredible. Well, Charity Water is one of their, they're really great partners and they really encourage people to use these life events like a wedding, like a birthday, whatever it is to, you know, we're, we're okay. We're, we, we've done, we're living in the United States. We have a really good quality of life here. Uh, it's okay to donate a birthday, like giving water to people in need and help transform it. As I mentioned, uh, it's really incredible. Couldn't agree more. So, 
you you dropped some some big news or or teased some big news when we uh, talked a little bit before we went live here. Uh, you said you had a lot of really big things going on. You've already, I assume, shared some of them. Uh, are there some other big things that you have going on that you didn't drop well, yet? You know, you're you're a previous. I don't know how much this can be included, but you are an ambassador, so you get exclusive news that other people don't get. Um, <laughs> I, what I will say is uh, a lot of it has been shared in terms of our updates. Um, we have formed a partnership with one of our largest customers who is also now investing. Um, so we are negotiating right now a term sheet uh, as to how much they'll invest, how much equity they're getting, uh, leading the round that really will get us to our own manufacturing plan. Um, so that is really big news. You know, I've looked at Blackwood Angels, uh, angel investors for the last eight months, 12 months. Um, but to have a lead investor, you know, VCs, I've spoken to a bunch of them. Um, U.S. manufacturing is not where they invest their money. And, and historically speaking, because they don't have it, right? This is, we're, I believe we're pioneering this, right? I, and I also believe that there's going to be a wave of this, of onshoring. Uh, a competitor of ours, Simple Modern, um, is doing this as well. So they're in Snow, Oklahoma. They're not doing steel to start. So we'll be the first in steel. They're starting with plastics because it's a lot easier. Um, and so, and they, you know, they have a hundred million dollars in year in sales and they are doing this as well. So I view this as a massive wave of onshoring is going to come to the U S because we're realizing that, you know, you go shopping and you see empty shelves and you're saying to yourself, I'd, I'd pay more if we could guarantee these shelves are stocked. Right. And so all these other industries are realizing, uh oh, we can't always rely on overseas manufacturing in our international supply chain to be accountable. And what, when there's one ripple, it, one impact, it sends a lot of ripples throughout that take a long time to rebound. So um, a lot of these companies, a lot of different industries are realizing, hey, I'll pay more to do it, to offer it. We can either take a haircut of margin, charge a little bit more or charge a little bit more, but guarantee your supply, which means you're always going to have sales. You're not going to run out of product, right? So I think there's a major wave of insurance in the U.S. that's started already. Um, I view it at, you know, a lot of these bigger companies are going to be a lot slower to pivot. It's like turning a cruise ship around versus turning a speedboat around, which is probably the U.S. Um, so hopefully a lot of these smaller startups, you know, part of being a startup is, as we mentioned, the ability to pivot. And there's a major opportunity for all of us right now in terms of pivoting, in terms of what our customer base will support. Um, and you can do it a lot quicker. We can do it a lot quicker than these bigger companies who are entrenched in these overseas contracts and their supply chain that they've invested millions and millions of dollars in. Uh, we haven't invested as much. And so we can be nimble and, and adjust quickly. So that's what we're, what we're doing. That's great validation that they're taking that step to invest in you guys. We like to end with a few lighthearted questions, Ben. So maybe I'll start with one. You know, an entrepreneur just out of college, just getting started, wants to do something in business. What advice would you give them? I think when you're young and you don't have those responsibilities of, of family and people to support dependents on your tax return, um, I think that that's the time to fail, fail fast, right? And I think, you know, I love those lean, you know, startup books where it just like fail, iterate, test, learn again, right? And fail again. And it's just through those failures that you're going to finally find what is, what you're successful at. I think there's also some value to, you know, the grass is always greener. I started with a nine to five job at a company that I envisioned myself going off the ranks and running the business at some point. They happen to be our 
largest angel investor. <laughs> so, and I love them and we're very well connected. Um, but I, you know, I was micromanaged by a manager and it taught me that I don't really want to be in the nine to five world in the corporate space. And there's some value, I think, towards like being, you know, the gopher that you're doing the nitty gritty details of, of, of work and whatever that is, whatever industry it is. Because I think then when you do leave as an entrepreneur to do your own thing, you'll really appreciate, you know, the flexibility that you're in control of your destiny as opposed to this is what you have to do. Get it done by Friday, right? So. Okay, Ben, let's make the assumption that it just turned five o'clock. Your water bottle yeah. just got emptied of water. What are you now putting into the Welly water bottle? Well, I'd recommend everyone buy a different product from us to use specifically for your, your drinks. But uh, <laughs> I um, let's see. At the end of the day, so I, and I don't mean to always sell, but I am, as I'm sure, I think a salesperson. <laughs> I, my wife's cousin started a company called Tip Top Cocktails. And, you know, I started making drinks and I got into it and then we had one, two, three kids. And just like, it's just not possible, I feel like, to like really make a good, go even if it's an old fashioned, right? Which I love. But tip top, it's these cans and they just put in some damn rice and pour it in and it tastes brilliant. So uh, their Negroni and their old fashions have been like my two go to where I have like a stockpile of them and it's just so easy to snap it open. We might be working with them down the road. So, you know, a little, you know. <laughs> Sounds like it might be too easy to just snap it open. <laughs> it's almost too easy. That's a good, good point. It might be. That's yeah. great, Ben. Well, you were a great guest to have on our show today. Thank you so much. You got an inspiring company. Thank you for everyone who listened and got this far. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and leave a rating or a review. It all helps. You can follow Scott and I on LinkedIn. And Ben, what's the best way to, for people to follow you? Say our company sites, which would be on Instagram, uh, which at Welly Bottle. Uh, but my email is ben at wellybottle.com. I'm very reachable. So if anyone hears this and wants to reach out to me directly, please do. Okay, great. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you again next time.